have you checked out height to make sure he's like over six foot two or whatever it is your stupid standards are? He'd be so, oh, I don't know. If I don't know. Six. It turns out he's five foot nine. He's a midget. Oh well, never mind. Size does matter. Is that the size of the coalition agreement, or what are we talking That's what about? You're here? Grant Robertson would be a much bigger threat to Lamingtons than Lamingtons would be a threat to Grant Robertson. Another slushing! I wonder whether or not anyone ever asked Barack Obama and John Key if they met because they were of similar age. High taxing, big spending, big government. Okay, Boomer. National will get New Zealand back on track. New Zealand is the greatest little country in the world. Hello and welcome back to the Iron Duke Podcast, your weekly recap of all things policy and politics, where we run you through our peaks and our pits, interesting bits and anything that fits from Aotearoa and around the globe. I am joined to discuss all things coalition agreement with Principal Consultant Byron Terrace. It's wonderful to be back on another episode of the Iron Duke Podcast and today we finally have, after such a long time Today's of day. waiting, we have a coalition government, a three-way, the first three-way in cabinet, the first trifecta ever in New Zealand's history. Second longest negotiation behind only that infamous 1996 coalition deal that Winston Peters once again held up. But here we are, we have made it to the finish line and a lot to dissect today. Byron, what was your big takeaway from the negotiation? Who's your winner on the day today? Three parties in coalition, first time ever in New Zealand history that you've got... (laughs) Three blokes working together inside cabinet. It's very normal in other MMP systems around the world. Germany, Netherlands, they've all got it. Even Belgium, for goodness sake, they can stitch together coalitions. But for us, it's very, very different. So, first of all, I tried to comment. They're all a winner on the day. The negotiation process has been diligent, it's been focused, and it's been purposeful. Because our aim has simply been not to, to form a government but to form a strong and stable government that gets things done for Kiwis. You also have this bizarre kind of uh, power-sharing thing between the two Deputy Prime Ministers. They all look pissed off to be there. Correct, which means everybody wins. It's fantastic, (laughs) right? if everyone wins, Uh, does anyone win? New Zealand wins, that's right. If everyone loses, then nobody wins. It's brilliant. I love this whole thing between the sharing of the Deputy Prime Ministership between Winston for the first little bit and then Seymour for the second little bit because you know who else does this but with the role of Prime Minister Ireland. They've got a grand coalition country functions just fine and they share the bloody Prime Ministership This isn't something weird My grade 2 football team also did that. You played team sports? I, wow, I'm that's amazing. such a team athlete. Everything about me screams high-performance team athlete. You know, after four years, I'm still learning new things about you. That's amazing. <laughs> so. I think it's ridiculous. I think it, it makes a mockery of Luxon. Here's a guy who couldn't broker a deal and then he just split it straight down the middle. It reminds me of like the bitter divorced couple that just saw the table in half. I think we're actually, you know, we've said this numerous times on a podcast and I'm, I'm just going to sound like a broken record. This is MMP, baby. This is maturing. You've got three parties in government now, you've got to share the baubles of office. In terms of biggest winners, biggest losers, always uh, with you, opposite ends of the spectrum, I'm going to say that Winston first and his New Zealand Let's Go Peters team 
actually came out on top with this one. I think they excised undue influence of their six percent to actually come away with quite a fulsome negotiation. They come undue away with influence. one point two billion dollars for a new regional infrastructure fund. You know, friendship over with PGF, RIF is my new best friend. That kind of thing. You've got a number of cabinet portfolios there for Shane Jones, Winston Peters, and Casey Costello. In cabinet, outrageous, straight in, never been an MP before. I see a lot of wins here for New Zealand first. They get their little study into Marsden Point, they get their railway, they get their four lanes through the Brindirwins, they get to overturn the oil and gas ban, and diving into some gnarly detail later on, we can talk about Taitariti. You're right, it might be great for New Zealand first, but I would go out on record and say it's going to be pretty appalling for New Zealand, and in particular that last point you make, the repeal of some of the stuff around the treaty and how we discuss it, how we use Te Reo Māori, I think it is going to really set New Zealand back decades if some of the stuff is taken seriously by, by Wellington, by the big bureaucrats, but also by their coalition partners. My winner on the day? I reckon the ACT Party did pretty well out of this. Mm. When you think about it, a lot of what they were trying to achieve was actually really streamlined with the National Party. It was just pushing a little bit too far out to the right, particularly some of that cut stuff, particularly some of the stuff around deregulation, some of the stuff around you know really aggressive pro-property ownership, really you know pushing hard for the rights of landlords. This is all stuff that agrees with National Party values. But if the National Party had to come out and said it, they would have lost more voters at the centre. So I think they played it pretty strategically throughout the campaign, letting ACT run away with a lot of this, knowing full well they were going to concede to it during the coalition negotiations. Any particular portfolios you're proud to see in the hands of a ACT Party? I think the Minister for Regulation for David Seymour. Now, they had been pushing really hard for that. And I know if you're outside the Beltway, it looks like it means nothing. But that is the whole, let's cut red tape, let's get New Zealand's economy moving. In particular, let's get our agricultural sector and our farming community back on track. The structure is relatively, it's relatively normy. I wasn't actually like, completely surprised by having like you know three cabinet ministers per coalition partner, 14 national cabinet ministers, and then a handful out inside, outside. It's actually... Relatively normal. It's a smaller cabinet than usual. It's only 20 ministers as opposed to the usual 22. And that allows them the opportunity to kind of promote people up and down. What is interesting is there, there are former National Party ministers who Luxon has not brought back into the team. He has been pretty ruthless in terms of fronting the best people for the job, not the people who have been hanging around on the benches the longest. And I think that shows true leadership. Right, let's dive into a couple of the core policy areas. Maddie, where are we heading? The crown jewel of the National Party's whole policy manifesto was that tax plan, right? And so Winston Peters, New Zealand First, have come in and slashed out the foreign, foreign buyers, which was how they were going to fund a really, really large part of that. In fact, I would go to say that throughout these coalition documents, there seems to be a lot of concessions for spending and not a lot of concessions for revenue generation, which does make me a little bit nervous. So when quizzed on, okay, well, where are you going to come up with that $760 million that you were supposed to get from selling really nice houses to really nice foreigners, they didn't have an answer. And the whole justification is, well, we're going to keep growing the economy and throughout this process we have actually found some savings. When Nicola Willis talks about that mini budget, that mini budget that is set to become before Christmas, which I think a lot of New Zealanders should forgive her if she isn't able to deliver on because she's got really only three weeks to do it. Three sitting weeks, three, three parliamentary sitting, sitting crazy, weeks. Crazy, right? When it comes to that, that is going to be <laughs> a mother of all budgets. Cuts 
central. That will be the baseline out of all government departments. Keep in, keeping in mind, uh, Wellington has already been told you need to find 6 to 7% of savings in your baseline, and that is going to be the costing of the scrapping of all the work agendas that we've seen You know, get absolutely deleted today in those coalition agreements. So then we'll know what sort of money we're dealing with. The exciting thing is that regardless of whether they can raise the money or not, those tax cuts are going through for New Zealanders. That may not be a great thing. Last point I'll make on the, on the tax play is there was an incredible piece of policy, working for families, uh, extending working for families, family boost, that was intended to get uh, more money into the back pockets of parents with kids in early childhood, which if you don't have kids in early childhood, which I don't, it seems like a freaking foreign concept, but it's on average $14,000 a year. So a tax rebate for some of those parents, that will no longer go through until 2026, which is a shame to see. But that is the nature of a three-headed monster. You do need to make some form of concessions, and I'm just sad to see that one of the ones that was made was for the people who probably need it the most, the squeeze middle that Nicola campaigned so hard on. I think the the tax plan was obviously National's core kind of sell it to middle New Zealand piece and how they how they pay for it. It was never New Zealand's first job to find them $750 million on a no. policy they didn't believe with. So those cuts make sense to pay for that policy if you agree with that policy. Interestingly enough, if we think about revenue and spending, uh, one of the portfolios that I'm a complete nerd in is local government, what mm. happens to councils. And in the ACT Coalition Agreement, there is clearly a big focus on new tools for local councils to raise revenue. So GST from new house builds, uh, potential new revenue streams from congestion charging, tolling, different ways of funding local infrastructure as well as nationally significant infrastructure. And I think moving some of that tax burden away from central government, placing it on local government to services that actually make everyday people's Mm. toilets run, showers run, garbage services run, pavements nice, bloody playgrounds for kids, I think that's actually something we haven't looked at properly in New Zealand. So hopefully, fingers crossed, the ACT Party Coalition Negotiation Agreement will be that local government can get a fairer share of the tax pie. That's local government. City deals are in there too. What else? I continue on that. Throughout that entire ACT and National Coalition document is just an agreement that we need to think about how we fund and finance infrastructure, buildings, capital that is owned by the government differently and that's really exciting to see. Moving away from this whole command and control the government must own, deliver and operate everything to different models is really important and what was the thing about the hospitals? So inside the uh, Act National Coalition Agreement is the idea to that Tafatu Order, the Health New Zealand I'll, I'll get to that in a minute that has to explore the idea of the private sector builds it and the public sector leases the facility back and only operates the hospital, doesn't actually own the building. Now, that's very, very common overseas. The government in New Zealand is notoriously horrific for owning and maintaining capital assets. Look at the infrastructure deficits that we have across the entire country. And the fact that this has become an ideology that is almost pinned to the right blows my mind. And so if we can get innovation and investment and infrastructure and actually start to use the private sector to build more stuff, not provide the service, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying that we're going to have a fully privatised healthcare system. Mm. I'm simply saying that the building the hospital is in is owned and maintained through a contract with a private sector builder. It's normal shit that happens all around the world. And by the way, if you've ever gone to a Southern Cross hospital, that is not owned by Southern Cross. That mm. is owned by an infrastructure 
provider. Literally just a property company. Yeah, absolutely. On health, real briefly, nothing really to report there. That was probably one of the least controversial topics of the election. There has been a lot of talk around Te Whata Ora. That won't be rolled back. That will be maintaining its current form. There will still be a need to pull more kind of admin cost out of that. The big loser, though, is the Māori Health Authority. Now, that will be rolled back into Te Whata Ora as kind of like an operations unit. Think of it like a policy think tank, you know, brainstorming better ways to ensure Māori and Pacifica as well, health outcomes. Uh, the Waikato Hospital, the, the so Waikato, Waikato Medical, Medical School. School that has been promised by the National Party to increase the number of doctors, that is up for debate. It's up for a working group yeah, and yes, it was New Zealand First's bloody coalition agreement where yeah. it says it. We get a working group for the Waikato Medical School. So that's an interesting one. Dr Shane Reddy coming in as Minister of Health, absolutely no surprises there. Probably the most predictable minister absolutely. and really, concerningly, the only person fit for the job. So you always need to be thinking about succession planning in your cabinet. You never know what could happen. Someone might go for a mountain bike when they shouldn't. Someone might decide to run for a seat where they don't win. And someone may also uh, maybe just not disclose shares. You know, people, they are only human. They are only but, human. But uh, the fact that those associate portfolios sure as heck have not gone to anyone who I could see stepping into the ministerial shoes is a bit concerning in the middle of a health crisis in New Zealand. Byron. Auckland, the minister for Auckland, Simeon Brown up against Mayor Wayne Brown. I know, Brown be very Brown. Brown versus Brown. Mr. Let's do a city deal. Let's do congestion charging. Who am I talking about? It could be either of the two Browns. I know, isn't that exciting? We're going to have some kind of violent agreement. The Brown boys. The Brown boys. Uh, interesting because they're both Pakeha. Right. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, they're going to have some violent agreement on policies for Auckland because they all agree on congestion charging and road user charging yeah. for Auckland. They all agree on city deals. They all want to see more roads built, roads of national significance. They want to see less cycleways. Fewer cycleways, that's right. So actually we might we might end up with a system of violent agreement with Auckland for a change. Um, I just want to touch on a couple of other things before we wrap up. Uh, energy and resources get split into two portfolios. Um, Simeon Brown, who I already talked about, he picks up the energy side, so he looks at the electricity market and all the regulations that mean we get to turn the lights on at home, and also uh, fuels, so we get to fill the car up or charge the car or whatever it might be. So that's what he gets. And Mr. Regional Development, Shane Jones himself, gets resources. Yeah. He becomes Ka-ching. the Minister for Minerals, the Minister for Coal, the Minister for Gas, anything that comes out of the ground, he's your man. And so this is a kind of completion of Shane Jones' political arc to be able to overturn the oil and gas ban, try to do something with the oil and gas sector, get more gas out of the ground to provide certainty in our energy system. And lastly on energy and resources, specifically on resources, he's also decided to put some frickin' strange wording in the coalition agreement to go and find naturally occurring hydrogen. That's just not a thing. And also they put a frickin' mineral I've never heard of, vanadium, in the coalition agreement and apparently it exists in some rock or some sand on the west coast. It just goes to show that New Zealand First are not serious people. The overturning of the oil and gas ban, despite how aggressively it was advocated for by industry and by Taranaki more broadly, is going to make absolutely no difference. When we banned new exploration here, we sent a clear message to the international oil and gas community that New Zealand is closed. And even though, you, you know, welcome back, it doesn't matter. These sorts of decisions are made decades in advance and they're really expensive decisions. Why would you come back and drill in a market where you know there is sovereign risk because it's become so politicised? You're right, and it's 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 it is a tragedy. I know because what it's meant is that electricity prices have spiked, and that in 2024 
We are seriously facing an electricity shortfall. That's a decision that was made in 2018. Um, So overturning the oil and gas ban will hopefully lead to redevelopment of existing fields to just eke a little bit of more gas out to put it into the system. Totally. And I know you are desperate to talk about the $1.2 billion fund that Mr. Jones once has. The phoenix of slush, the phoenix of wasted money has risen again. Shane Jones, ladies and gentlemen. It's a $1.2 billion slush fund to spend on regional infrastructure. It's 2017 all over again. It's a bit smaller, but we, we get we get another slush fund. But it's a win for them, I guess. Loss for the country, win for them. Last point from me that I want to make, and this goes back to what we were talking about before. It's a very touchy subject, but there are a lot of details inside these coalition negotiations. The role of Te Ao Māori, the role of the interaction with Māori communities is about to go through a very rocky period. I mean, you've got inside the New Zealand First Coalition Agreement, you have got the renaming of all public service ministries back to their English names. It says English, not their original names. It says English names, unless they are specifically about Māori communities. You've got the explicit removal of the phrase, this act is in accordance with the Treaty of Waitangi Principles. That phrase is to be removed from legislation where they cannot articulate in legislation what it applies to. They are going and stripping back. They're going to say English is an official language. It's the de facto official language anyway. You don't need to do that. But they are really leaning into this culture war. My frustration was when Christopher Luxon got up there today and hand on heart was able to say they are going to be a government for all New Zealanders. And yet over the last three weeks, he has let that sort of rhetoric slip into both of, not just the New Zealand First, but both of his coalition documents. I think New Zealand could be up for a really tough time here. And that is the challenge when you're when you are the leader of the major party in a coalition, but not the majority party that New Zealanders voted for. They got thirty eight percent. And you're having to bring along a few others for the ride and you're having to form a cohesive view. I think the largest challenge Chris Fluxon actually has is unifying New Zealand and I think he's off to a really rough start. Democracies always get the government they deserve. This is the government the majority of New Zealanders have voted for whether they like it or not. That's the way it happens, and this is the government we deserve. We got the government we deserved last term. We got the government we deserved the term before that when we were St Peter's there the first time. And unfortunately, that means chopping and changing a whole bunch of stuff. It means being divisive, and oh boy, it's about to get rocky. You may think that this is the government that New Zealand voted for, but I would argue that this is the government 6% of people voted for. In the same way that he held New Zealand to ransom in 2017 with Ardern, in English, he's holding us to ransom over something far more important, and that's our cultural identity this time, and that is what I'm most worried about over the next three years. Lighten it up. Let's hit it. Quick, hot or not, what's up? Paul Goldsmith, colonisation was good for Māori, is now the Treaty Minister. Hot or not? Not. Nāti Pākehā, Paul Goldsmith, terrible appointment, but the only guy for the job. Okay, interesting. Judith Collins, Minister of Space Cadets. Love it. Can't wait to see her in a, in a national suit. And, hot or not, the Minister for Climate Change and the Minister for Environment, Simon Watts and Penny Simmons respectively, both being outside Cabinet. A massive embarrassment. A kid who grew up inside the child, youth and family system, Karen Chahor as Minister for Children. Absolutely. Hot, hot, hot. she in Cabinet? She's outside. She's, She's outside. outside. Professional racist, Casey Costello. Minister for Customs. She's also got seniors. Mm. Most seniors are a little bit racist these days, though, aren't they? Mm. 
that's she's a, that's also a tough got one. immigration and okay, police. So okay, so having health, is she, all things. You mean associate or is she? She's got the associate portfolios for those three: Whoa. health, immigration, and police. Jeez, that's a toughie. That's a real toughie. So I'll take it on your behalf and give it a knot. And captain of the parliamentary cricket team, Christopher Bishop, Minister of Sport and Recreation. Yeah, hot. You got to give tobacco lobbyists a job. <laughs> Well, listeners, another week where we politely agree to disagree before we go and have a beer. So, New Zealand, you've got your new government. Go out and thrive. You've got a little bit of grey cloud. You've got a little bit of yellow sunshine. But, of course, you'll always have a blue sky. Until then, we'll see you next week.